0: Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast by me, Mark Decano, where through guile, flattery and begging, I somehow get the people I admire and respect to waste a precious hour of their time talking to me, a very antithesis of an influencer, about their opinions and experiences in comedy. My guest this episode is a familiar voice to the thousands of listeners of the Star Radio Cambridgeshire Breakfast Show and MKFM but she's better known to me as a budding stand-up comedian. With a multitude of stand-up spots under her belt, I predict we'll be hearing a lot more on the circuit as well as the airwaves for broadcaster and stand-up comedian, Ros Hale. Hi, Ros.
1: Hi.
0: All good? Happy?
1: Yeah, perfect.
0: So what's with the lint bells?
1: (laughs) (laughs) My badges of honour. You know when people go to a festival... And they wear the festival long after they've come back from the festival. Well, after Easter, because I can eat more chocolate than anyone else I know, I just don't I, I just don't feel sick on chocolate. And so I eat tons of it. And the Lint Bunnies, obviously, they come with a little bell. Yes. And so I wear them. And I wear them for the full week after Easter as well, just so everyone knows how many I've done. <laughs> I mean, I've got them from every year, but I don't cheat. They are only from the current year. Um, And so the picture there was only three, but that wasn't even Easter. We hadn't even got to Good Friday at the point that I'd taken that picture. It was like a Wednesday or something. And so I managed to do 12. So I think 12 over a bank holiday weekend for Easter. I mean, that's that's some good going, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I have literally nothing to compare that to, but yeah, sure, why not? Yeah.
1: (laughs) That, that's just my love of chocolate. So it's the only vice I have because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't, I don't, I don't do anything other than don't do drugs, <laughs> but I do eat copious <laughs> amounts of sugar.
0: <laughs> so tell me, how does young Ros Hale become interested in comedy? How does it come into your life?
1: I wrote my first stand-up set when I was seventeen, and I performed it when I was forty-seven. <laughs> so um, I, I would say, if anyone's thinking about doing stand-up. If you're going to do it eventually, just do it now. There is no point in waiting. I can't believe it took me that long. I mean, I've loved stand-up like forever. I mean, literally, I, I was brought up in a family that watched... My dad watched Bill Co. I mean, no one would even know what yeah. that is. It's a black and white sitcom from the war, you know, um, yeah. Dad's Army, and I um, Frank Spencer. So I grew up with that. And, yeah. and I had a very fun, you know, storytelling dad. And so it wasn't really, I think, until much later that I appreciated having that sort of an influence because you just watch stuff that's funny. Yeah. You know, and it was always stuff that was funny. It wasn't your soaps and your dramas. It was always comedy. And so I've just loved comedy. I only learned to drive so I could see Jack D at the Glee Club in Birmingham. <laughs> I really did. Jack D was performing and I've got tickets for me and a friend at work and she cancelled sort of like last minute in, in, in the week. Yeah. And I didn't want to get the train on my own. And I'd got a driving lesson, well, I'd drawn my driving test on the Thursday and yeah. my driving instructor said, you're not ready <laughs> like you're like you're, you're not going to pass so I'm like, well i have to because i've got to drive to birmingham on the saturday so you, i need to pass and so wow. he, did, he did a two-hour lesson before my test and i literally passed by the skin of my teeth but then i drove to birmingham and saw jack d oh fantastic yeah and if you've ever been to birmingham and to the glee club and you driven the roundabout where you have to get off because it's pedestrian only and, and, and it's off like the cobbled road i'm like how do i get off the roundabout i'm a new driver so um so yeah, I mean Jack D was Jack D, Eddie Izzard. I mean Lee Evans was Jack D's warm-up. Wow. This is how long ago we're talking, and obviously we all know what happened to Lee Evans' career. Obviously it just skyrocketed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did that sort of give you the bug then for visiting live comedy for watching it?
1: I suppose so, but also, you know, I'm Nowadays, and it's hard to go, on because I'm so old, but you know, we didn't have drama, we didn't have media studies, we didn't have those things at school. It wasn't yeah. a career choice, it wasn't a path that anyone could take. You know, if you wanted yeah. to do drama, it was outside of school. And so I always knew that I wanted to work in media or sitcom or something or something performance-led, but I was never yeah. going to admit to that. So I got a proper job, went and had a pension, you know, and and did what you're supposed to do. But I still just, I just wanted to work in media. And I was working for, when I, when I first left school, I, I worked for Levi's and they used to mm-hmm. make amazing adverts. And we'd all go on the coach and watch these amazing advert launches. Okay. And there was a guy there who who did the advert and I got speaking to him and said, I wanna work in the media, I wanna work in in anything. And he said, are you interested in post-production? I'm interested in anything. I don't know what post production is, <laughs> um, and anyway, and so I I went then to work um, for him in London, doing mm-hmm. doing then post production. Went on all the front of house courses and. All the editing lists, you know, and all all, yeah. all all things that you could have done, and then sort of like got into it that way. And we also Virgin Radio were up the road, well, like Virgin Media were up the road when Chris Evans was on, yeah. Um, and so we would do radio interviews from our studios and rent them out when they were busy. And so we would often have all their artists who was ever signed to Virgin record label. We would do mm-hmm. their interviews, and often when an artist is in a radio station, they're not, they're somewhere else. And they've just linked up via an ISDN call. And we used to do all those things. So we'd work with like the Spice Girls and like the amount of times that um, (laughs) Billy Piper, you know, would, would, would pop down, um, you know, because she was at Virgin quite a lot in, in those days. Um, And, and it was just then, God, this is a whole new world. I absolutely love it. And I suppose because I then got into radio, radio then satisfied my, need to put my thoughts somewhere. So <laughs> yeah. I think if I hadn't have had that, then maybe I I, I might have looked at stand up earlier. But right. I've had like twenty-three years now. I mean I went into Breakfast Show Radio in nineteen ninety nine. That's twenty-three years ago. And so four hours a day, I've you know been mildly amusing. Um, whereas obviously with, with stand-up, you, you can't just be mildly amusing. You have to be really funny for your, your 20 minutes. But radio really satisfied that need, so yeah. I never pushed it. Yeah, so I think that's the gap between 17 and 47. <laughs> people go, <laughs> going, you know what, I'd really like to have a go at stand-up because I've loved it so much for all these years.
0: So how did you come to be in The Breakfast Show? I mean, I know you first and foremost as from your stand-up and then I found out about your radio show, but a lot of people will know you predominantly from doing breakfast radio. So how did that start?
1: Well... After working, well, whilst I was working in in post production, we would also do nationwide radio. We would yeah. often we, we would make and produce radio shows because obviously there's still store radio now, but the big store radio was 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 massive again in in the 90s and early 2000s. And so I worked with companies that did that. And i was thinking, I saw how much they were getting paid, and just thought, you know, I could do that. All they're doing is chatting. So I put a yeah. demo together and then just sent it out to everywhere. And it just so happened that the Classic Gold at the time were looking someone to do some little inserts on radio bits of outside broadcasts we'd like go and go to a someone's house and deliver flowers for their birthday or something and then get them on the radio (laughs) and have like this two minute chat and so so I so I did that and my boss at the time was also looking to put together a breakfast show in Milton Keynes Mm -hmm. and he said you know I need a female I've got I've got two guys but I'm uh, but I need a female would you do a tryout and there was me and uh, a girl who was doing the national lottery, because that was a TV show at the time. Yes. And I'm like, well, they're not going <laughs> to give it to me because she's a known face on on TV. But right. for some reason they did give it to me. And so then I became part of this threesome <laughs> of, of Trevor Kubel and Ross on the radio. And yeah. we just and then that was that was my way into radio. And then from there we we did Capital Breakfast um, at weekends and then moved on mm-hmm. to Heart. And then suddenly yeah. 23 years has passed, and I'm and I'm still doing it.
0: Yeah, you must love it. So why, why now, after all this time, did you think? Well, you know what? It's time I went out and did stand up and stood on my own.
1: Well, I mean, one, I did a course, uh-huh. but the reason, I mean, the reason, i mean, again, I would never have done the course if it hadn't have been for uh, working for Heart, which I've done for the last like, uh, like 10, 11 years. Mm-hmm. Heart, we always knew that Ofcom were going to get involved at some point and change the local hours that you needed to broadcast for and they were going to reduce them. And the minute they did that, you could just get Ant and Deck on the radio and just get one team to do the whole of Heart because Heart Regional as well as London. So they got obviously Amanda Holden and lovely Jamie Theakston, to do it. And so then we were all sort of then out of a job.
0: Right. And so
1: I thought, well, I'm going to take some time off and do some of the things that I love yeah. and join some writing groups and have a go at stand up and do a course, mm-hmm. uh, which is then what I did. Do. I did the Mike gun course at the Comedy Store because I'd been there pretty much every week watching comedy and thought it would just be, <laughs> I mean, it's just the iconic venue, isn't it? Yeah. For the Comedy Store. And, and without that, I wouldn't have gone from sitting and watching it to ever doing it if it hadn't been for a course. Because yeah. even though they don't teach you how to be funny, they don't teach you really even like the structure of a joke. They don't really teach you much, but it, you, what you do is you meet other people. You get part of the comedy camaraderie and mm-hmm. where to go. And people are like, have you done Funny Fackers? Have you done Monty's? Have you done that? All of a sudden you're swept along with all these places to do open mics that before you know it... Yeah you're in which you would never have gone from a punter to go well, how do I get how do I do that because it's behind the scenes and you don't know that until you go to do it do you yeah so uh and then that sort of then that created a bit of a bug but that was at the end of, of 2019 so it was yeah. it was November that we did our finale and mm-hmm. obviously a handful of months later obviously 2020 as you all know lockdown hit yeah <laughs> and my dad died on the day of lockdown oh, so wow. I had sort of a very different lockdown to everybody else he, he, he died mowing his lawn in the garden so um if I can, if I could go like that in my eighties, can you sign me up? Because that's the best way to go. Yeah. Uh, he was mowing his lawn, loves his lawn. Um, said, "Oh, my arm hurts. I'm gonna have a yogurt." So got him a yogurt. Had nothing to do with the yogurt, but had a heart attack, and and that was it. Yeah. So lockdown was sort of like trying to get the hospital to fax through the death certificates, and because obviously you couldn't you couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. You couldn't. You couldn't. There were face to face. Everything just stopped, didn't it? So it was a right nightmare. Yeah. Um, and so we were dealing with that obviously for a long time and sorting that out. And it wasn't until one of my friends who was doing like a Zoom comedy night said, like, why don't you come on and do it? And I'm like, oh, I- I'll come and watch. She went, It'd be the same time if you're watching or doing it. You might as well just do one. Yeah. And, and then I got back into the mindset of, okay, let's see if we can put together a five again. And so I'd say 2021 was really like the only year that I've actually done stand-up from beginning to end. Right. Um, so, so I feel like I've only really, I've only really done it for a year and I know other people have done so many more gigs than I have.
0: I mean, there's a lot there. Um, firstly, um, sorry for your loss. I lost my dad last year, so I know what that's like going into lockdown with not only that uh, to shoulder, but also you've just opened this new avenue of stand-up. How did you find dealing with zoom, dealing with online? Were you able to embrace it or was it just like such a different world from what you thought you were getting into?
1: I mean, Zoom. Actually, I know I know people that have been um, had had funerals streamed live that they're a part of, and they said that that was funnier than Zoom comedy. <laughs> and and I mean, it, I mean, it kind of was because Zoom. I mean, it was dire, wasn't it? But it was something. Yeah. And so I was still doing the radio show because yes. obviously, even though the pandemic, kind have got my own studio at home. So because you couldn't do double-headed, um, you know, you couldn't be in the studio together unless you were in the same bubble, which we weren't. So mm. I'm like, well, I've got a home studio. That's fine. I'll do it from home. And so everything was already set up, and so it was quite nice to then be having to. I had something to get up for. Yeah. So you know, I'm, we're still at work broadcasting from six until ten, mm-hmm. and then sort of sorting out my mum because my mum's got Parkinson. So without my dad, that was a whole new nightmare. And then it was, and then there was like Zoom comedy, and because all the yeah. pro comedians were also bored. Yep. They were doing shows. Like Next Up Comedy was just brilliant because then you had your yeah, Ellie Taylors. I mean, Sarah Millican did, I think it was like every Wednesday <laughs> that you could ju- just join in and be part of it and you could see how other people worked. Yeah, And lots of people, I mean, like Sarah Pascoe did a, like almost like a one-to-one, like a a tutorial on how to be a comedian. She went through a whole notebook. And you know, if, if, pan- if the pandemic hadn't have hit, we wouldn't have got... That information from pro comedians, so it was just, and also I watched every single special on Amazon, Netflix, you name it, you know, everything (laughs) on YouTube. So it was a time to just literally absorb all the things that you wanted to absorb that you wouldn't normally have had time for. So and to be part of it, I mean, it was funny because I'm used to on radio, you talk, you don't know if the audience laugh or not. Yes. So it was sort of, it was almost like a radio show. You go, but I don't expect anyone to laugh, and the slight delay, and you know, and people's headphones, or people, you know, dogs barking in the background. Um, you know, he, he, there was a lot of... So I, I I thought it was all right. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only person who actually didn't mind it. I'm used to sort of talking to silence. So the fact of no one laughing, oh, well, I'll just carry on.
0: <laughs> well, let's look at then once you go into stand-up, you're going on, on stage. I mean, you've got your first stand-up show. You approach the stage. They say, right, Roz, you're on. What's going through your mind? What happens next?
1: So... Um, so the, the the first stand-up obviously that I did was at the end of the course. So the comedy course at the yeah. Comedy Store, you do the finale in obviously the Comedy Store and thanks to all the other people that I was on the course with, they packed it out. Mm-hmm. And so it was in excess of 450 people
0: Yeah,
1: and I was the opener. And I, whether it was funny or not, and almost still now, if I can remember word for word, or you know, if I can deliver what I meant to deliver, I class that as a win. <laughs> if you laughed, brilliant. <laughs> but for me it's like, did I remember it? Did I deliver it how I wanted to? Did I keep the pace that I wanted to? Yeah. That's a win. Yeah. And so and and because it all and because it all went well and I ticked all of those boxes, it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, let's do it again then. And then I just got braver with and I'm still not at the stage where yeah, you know, there's stories that I I would tell on the radio that I wouldn't dream of doing in front of people, because that's still, there's still a massive hurdle there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked in radio for a long time. So people think that I'm used to speaking and I, I'd be really funny if I could get the mic and take it into the toilet. Because <laughs> if you couldn't see me, I would be so much funnier. And also, you know, I've always worked with a co-host. Yeah. So again, if I could, if you came on stage with me, again, I'd be way funnier. Right. But so there's that, that of getting it over being, you're the only person on stage. There isn't anyone to do. don't you think? The, the, you can't, you can't have any of that. There isn't, yeah. there isn't that. So I'm still dealing with that fear.
0: Yeah. So you're much more comfortable than, let's say, as a collaborator at the moment, would you say?
1: Yes. I mean, yeah. I do. Yeah. Because then you've got, you know, you can tell by someone's face if something landed, and if it didn't, you can just, then you can pick it up and go with it. Whereas yeah. in a group, you go, well, that person did find it funny, but that person didn't, or that's a bit mixed. So we just got to move on. We can't deal with it. Yeah. Whereas regardless of who's listening on the radio, if I say something to my co-host looks confused but I can go then I can elaborate or we can then find the funny in it yeah you've got that breathing space whereas I don't have you know and and I do see that people riff on stage but I don't have the nerve to do that so it's literally what I've said what I've planned what I've prepared is what comes out right at some point you know I would love that to change but I think you've got to be doing it obviously for quite a number of years before you feel relaxed enough to (laughs) just go oh oh and there was you know and then to just go off on yeah. On one, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I wouldn't dream of doing that at the minute. <laughs>
0: so, is it sort of like um, you're afforded some protection if you can't see the people who are watching
1: or listening? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I noticed that even because, because working in radio, obviously people can't see you. Mm. But when we've had, you know, we might have to go and give a check to a charity or something after work. Yes. So, we've all dressed up and done our hair and makeup and we've got nice clothes on. The show has been nowhere near as good as it would normally be because we're all a bit itchy because we're wearing either like suits and proper clothing <laughs> and and it's weird that if we dress like we're going to the tip and we're comfortable yeah it's so much better to you know you're not it's something you're not worried about and that's really weird but yeah it's um when, when people are looking at you there's all that oh people have have I got the mic out the the the, the stand probably is the wire core oh I think there's you know there's uh, my fly's done up and there's just <laughs> loads of things going on that you just don't have in a radio where you can just you're just audio
0: yeah well, you said about um, going on stage and and basically you say your lines and that's it. But you, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you are able to riff because you, you can riff with your co-host on the radio. And also you did a spot at GMB I think you left your notes on side of the oh, stage or something. Oh, were you there?
1: Something. Yeah, and the lovely Callum McKenzie. Who yes. fact, I just did a gong show with him. I mean, he's so good, so so good. <laughs> Callum, if, if he will be a name, I'm sure Callum McKenzie at some point because he was just brilliant. But yeah, I didn't know. I didn't really know him at at the, at the time. But yeah, so yeah. I'd it was um, I had a really busy week, and I was thinking, oh, I don't think I don't think I'm going to remember what I'm supposed to be doing on stage. <laughs> and so I had a notepad, so I thought so I just looked at it. And Obviously, I've got all, all my, my bullet points, yeah. And then when the, show, the second half of the show started, and I was in the second half, I went back to where I was sitting, which wasn't near my notepad, so I couldn't move it. I thought, <laughs> well, never mind. But he then saw it, and obviously, some of my bullet points are rather eye catching <laughs> with certain <laughs> yeah. bodily fluids, death, you know, like. And so, he was just reading them out, going, Whose set is this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, It's mine. I mean, there were no punchlines sort of on there, yeah. But I did then, so I thought, well, I've got to sort of make a joke of it because he, I think, I almost followed him and so I said you just heard all of my set so let's just have a drink every time we hear one of the words that (laughs) Callan's just mentioned um which is then you know what what we did and I don't think I actually needed the notes I had actually sort of remembered it but yeah Yeah. that was I thought I've got to go with it because it was my notepad
0: (laughs) but I mean you delivered that with a calm self-assuredness that I mean, given what you've just said about, you know, I'll I'll go, I'll remember my lines and that's it and and being like protected by not being observed. Um, You are very self-assured. I mean, do you, are you inhabiting a different character on stage? Oh yeah,
1: what's on the outside is not what's on the inside. And so I guess maybe that's lucky then because people have always said that, that, you seem so calm, you know, but I am not at all. <laughs> I've had to do stage work, obviously, with radio the whole time. I don't know why people think that if you can talk on the radio, you would then have the same uh, skill set to be able to then G up a crowd. But my <laughs> first crowd from working in radio was 45,000 people at the Milton Keynes Bowl at a concert of Summer Excess. And we'd oh. been asked as the radio station of Milton Keynes to host the event and to bring on most of the acts. Yeah. And and so and I'm okay if I'm prepared. I like to be prepared. Improv is not for me. I'm like I need to know what's <laughs> happening, and if I'm prepared, I'm okay. And I knew that one of the times I was bringing on Beverly Knight. Yes. And so I'm standing by the stage. I'm thinking, what well, I've got her album name in my head. I remember where she's from, what she's done, her new single. I've got all this stuff on Beverly Knight. Absolutely love her. Absolutely fine. And then all of a sudden <laughs> backstage, I went, Beverly's not ready. Blue are going to come on. Just introduce the boys from Blue. And like, <laughs> I had this like, panic. And they were like, you know their names. Just introduce them one by one. And they'll come on when you call their names. I'm thinking, well, I do know their names. But also, you know the panic in front of people go, will I remember all of their names? I don't know that I will. I was thinking, like, so there are four lads, four lads. And I don't know how it came to me. I must have written down, just say lads if I can't remember anything else. And where I'd written down lads, L-A-D-S, Lee, Anthony, Duncan and Simon, all the boys from blue. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll just remember that. And so, and then it was fine, but I'd then (laughs) built up this fear in my head of like I didn't like everyone after the event who'd introduced an act like, wasn't that yeah. brilliant oh the bus I'm like I am never doing that again <laughs> because that was awful not only were all these people looking at me but you're on two sides of the big screen no one's there to see me they're there to see Beverly Knight and Blue and Matt Goss and all the other people that were performing at that time but you know when everyone's looking at you like, and it was so ever since then I was like I don't want to do it and so yeah. I've been scared ever since yeah. and so that's why I knew I'd need to do a course to get over walking on stage with a mic on my own. yeah, It was a known thing that I was having a co-host with radio whenever we'd do anything, as soon as we'd go anywhere, I would say, don't leave me, don't leave me. <laughs> I wouldn't even do a number plate you know, on stage saying, can someone move this car? I mean, like, I don't even want to do that. I don't even want <laughs> to do that. I need someone with me. So it's a massive thing that I can actually now sort of go on stage and be, this is slightly desensitized yeah. to me getting over this and I can actually do it without having to go to the toilet a million times. <laughs> Because we all feel you know, like oh that, yeah. and I think I've asked everyone. Most people are like you don't eat before. I envy these people that go and have a burger before they go on stage. You go, How are you doing that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, I know uh, I pace for two hours before I sit down to do an interview. So oh, do you? Yeah, I know. I know when the comic's going on stage and they say, oh, you know, I've got that anxiety. But does that not give you energy? Does that not raise the challenge?
1: Um, I mean, I have I've watched these videos where they say, you know, you're supposed to look up, move your eyes and that resets your brain and you have to go, I'm excited. I'm ex- and if you say to yourself, I'm excited three times, yeah. supposedly you fool your body. They've done it with athletes and all sorts of different people. And they've worked out that it does actually work. Yeah. I don't know whether it does or not, but I do it. <laughs> so, which is why when you know who's on before you, I will always go to the back of the room. Tilt so my head backwards, look up at the ceiling, and then I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then wait. Then obviously for three names to be called, and then and then go, and then just hope for the best.
0: Yeah. I did a course once where they said, um, We're not going to use the word stressed anymore. None of these exercises are stressful. They're exciting. Every time you think you can say the word stressed, say excited. And they say, Okay, we've got to do a presentation. How are you feeling? I said, I'm so excited. I might throw up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. And also, this is, I always have my car keys in my pocket because I think I can do anything as long as at any point I know I can leave. Yeah, okay. And and I used to I never told when we did the finale at the comedy course at the end of it I didn't have any of my none of my friends and family came because none of them knew I was on the course even my husband thought I was just on a writing course and because I thought I'm not going to do the finale I'm there's no way I'm showing up to do this but I want to do the course six weeks before it and then I got to know everyone everyone's like oh yeah you know you have got to come don't bail yeah but even then. My car keys are in my pocket. My car's parked, like just uh, uh, at the car park at Leicester Square. I'm thinking, at any point, I can just leave. Yeah. I can go. I haven't got to do it, and that does then bring a sense of calm. Yeah, that I can go at any point, and then I feel calmer, knowing it's okay. This can stop at any time. Don't worry about it. You haven't got to put yourself through it. Yeah, and then it doesn't seem so bad, and then I can do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that idea. So I just hang on to my cockies and they'll save me.
1: Yeah. And I'm terrible because I drive everywhere. I don't I don't drink and, and I don't like getting like trains. And so I literally do drive everywhere. Yeah. So I'm literally parked outside the as close as I can for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gig.
0: I hear phrases banded around by comics like um imposter syndrome. Do you get that when you're on stage and say, I'm not sure I should be here still?
1: Well, I think that I feel that the level I'm at and I plan on being at this level until like Joan, Joan Rivers is one of my heroes. And she's an absolute mm-hmm. legend. I mean, she died at 81 and was still at the top of her game, still performing. And so yep. I think considering that I started this so late with with my trajectory, I think I should start to be good by the time I'm 81. And that's, and so that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's where I've set my goals. But I'm just going to keep on doing it until I feel really... Okay with it. And then every now and again, something comes up that you go, God, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought I would have dared do that. I did a gong yeah. show at the weekend, which mm-hmm. I was covering for a friend because um, they didn't want to annoy the promoter from dropping out at the last minute. Said, so, look, can I just say that I like, filled my place with you? It's a gong show in Huntingdon. I'm like, yeah. And, yeah. and it was a Commemorative Hall or Commemoration Hall in Huntingdon. Mm. I was thinking, well, that sounds very much like like a cricket pavilion or something. Do you know what I mean? There'll be like eight <laughs> people there, fine. I got there and it's a 200-seater theatre with 180 people that have paid to watch the comedy. <laughs> I mean, I might not have said I'd have done this if I'd have known. But you go, okay, that's another test for your balls of steel, isn't it? And then you go, yeah. it's fine, I did it, and it was okay.
0: Arguably, if you're in a room that big, it's become less personal because there's so many people they kind of blur into the background. Whereas if you're in a small, intimate room like in uh, you did Comedy Virgins at Cavendish, yeah, things, yeah, that's a small room.
1: Yeah, I mean, totally.
0: You can see everyone, and they can see you. I mean, does that bear up to scrutiny? Is it is it like that? I
1: think the the good thing with a with a bigger venue. You, is usually the the lights are so strong that you can o- I could only see the first two rows anyway yeah and so literally i had eye contact with the the girl in the front row for literally <laughs> the whole of my set and cuz the, the my, my current set is quite Female orientated, so I was looking for. I was looking for backup, but I was thinking if I do it to a female, that's probably better than looking at some guy who's bought his fourteen-year-old son when I'm talking about (laughs) internals and pap tests. You know, so uh, I, I, I do try and I try and look for a female, maybe of my age. Again, you know, if I'm talking about. Uh, my wedding anniversary and some stories from that and, you know, how long I've been married or the menopause or whatever, you know, I, I try and choose someone to like, at least, I, at least I get a, a smile of reassurance <laughs> that yes, I understand what you mean, even if it's not funny, at least I'm saying stuff that's semi-relatable.
0: <laughs> I see um Eleanor Conway. She's a fantastic comic. Um Her comedy is Definitely not directed at me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> There's a very strong female contingent in the room. A middle-aged man on his own is not the target demographic. Yeah, she's not looking at you. But, but the thing is, it's the energy in the room. It's the energy, it's the conviction of her performance that is entertaining. So I think, given your instance there, what you were saying, I don't think necessarily... I can't say the material doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But sometimes if you don't get the joke necessarily, you still feel you're laughing because the energy in the room takes you a lot. Yes. Would you agree yeah. with that?
1: Yeah. And I suppose that, and that's reassuring as well anyway, isn't it? I mean, it's confidence, isn't it? It's always confidence. Yeah. And it's funny that because that, that, there were so many female comedians now when when I went to go and see Jack D like when I was 17, all the comedians that I would have listed that were amazing that I saw from Lee Evans, Jack Dee, yeah. Eddie Izzard, I mean, obviously, Raw and Delirious were the, we all watched those on VHS when I was at school, yeah. You know, it was Eddie Murphy at his <laughs> best. And they were just, it was just a long line of like male comedians. And yes. whereas now some said, oh, you know, you you watch a lot. Who should I go and see? Or, you know, any specials? I'm like, Judith Lucy, you need to go and see her. Sarah Keyworth. Um, yeah. Um, Louisa Ollerman. Because I saw her show the other day. Absolutely amazing. I saw her
0: last night. Yeah.
1: Did you? Oh. Yeah, what well, I mean, I fantastic.
0: Say, well, I'd say
1: not necessarily material aimed at you, but I mean just from yeah. the gut, from the soul, from the relatability of the rejection, and it, it's just kind of go, wow. I think women at the minute have just taken off Jade Adams, yeah. Um, Desiree Birch. I mean, all all of them now sort of like what you know, uh, a female comedians. And I, it's not that I'm bigging up the sisterhood. It's just the fact that. All the comedians, Jen Brister, all the comedians that I've seen just recently that absolutely brilliant. Just happened to I saw to her be- last girl. night as well. She's good, isn't it? I love her. And she She's introduced amazing. me to Maureen Younger, who yes. is uh, amazing. If you watch, I love watching people's early stuff. Yeah, and Maureen yeah. Younger, and there's some stuff on YouTube from her from like, like 10, 12 years ago, whenever it was. And you go, gosh, she had she had something then. Just her, yeah. her relatability, her dryness, everything is just absolutely brilliant. <laughs>
0: Because they do a podcast together, don't they?
1: Yes, Women Talking Bollocks, yeah, yeah, with with Alison Alison Smith Smith, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's funny what you learn from other people's podcasts, isn't it? I'm a massive fan (laughs) of Anthony Jesselnick. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because whoever I say, you know, thoughts and prayers or um, fire at the maternity ward, watch them. And then I'll get texts from people saying, how long in does this become funny? I'm like, oh, <laughs> then you're not gonna get it. If you're if you're not in yeah. from the moment he starts speaking, then then you're not in. But yeah. when I first came across Anthony Jesselnik, he delivers the one-liners, sort of, you know, they sort of like one-liner jokes, but done as stories. So every story, yeah. I was, I went to believe him. So when he talks about his parents being dead or whether it's being a paedophile, it's like, God, what an awful life. And he goes, it's just jokes. On his podcast, he's like, no, 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 my parents are totally alive. And his his brother said to him, put me in your special. I don't care who I am, what character I am, put me in your special. And so he made him a (laughs) paedophile. That's dark.
0: Um, so, yeah, there's a, some, a point that you made there, um, you know, someone just not getting the joke. So have you, when have you died on your ass?
1: <laughs> you know what, the, the the most silent gig I ever did was it was at the Washington in, I never know if that's Belsize Park or Hampstead, but in, in between the two, the Washington's got a beautiful bookcase, where it's sort of like the secret <laughs> comedy room at the bottom. And halfway through, unfortunately, I, I, I think I was first, but halfway through the night, Helena mm-hmm. Bonham Carter turned up because she was supporting one of her friends. Friends who was doing stand-up. right? Um, and so I was quite pleased that Helena didn't see me, although she'd have been... <laughs> what I didn't realise was whilst I was doing my set to complete silence, the first four <laughs> rows were full of students and and guys, they were lads. And I was thinking, oh, maybe they just don't, you know, because I I'm, 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 did a bit of a filthy set or it was like just maybe like female topics. Yeah. At the break, they were all Italian students and they didn't speak much <laughs> English at all. And so the reason they were looking at me so intently was to sort of when I'm excited, I can speak quite quickly. And they were trying to follow what I was saying. So whilst it wasn't necessarily the most humorous night, they didn't actually understand any of it. And so it was uh, those nights, a to building, you know, can I deliver myself yeah. to silence? Yes, I can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does that throw you off at all? Does that, I mean, like you said about you, you you got to deliver the lines. Do you sort of go, oh, well, I'm not getting the kind of reaction I was expecting. And now I've forgotten where I was, that kind of thing. Does that happen to you?
1: no. I no. think I think it should, <laughs> I think it should do. It should do. If you cared, it should do. But again, I'm still in delivery mode of here's here's my five or seven minutes. And if someone's laughing, that you will. You, know, you don't have the extra voices in your head that go, yeah. "No one's laughing. Oh my god. Oh my god. Just move on. Don't ad lib. Just keep going." And you have yeah. you know, all the voices that tell you that this is silent and not going well. When people yeah. are laughing, you don't have those. And so to try and silence those and just keep. Going with your material and smile a bit as if like I'm enjoying this. This is fun, right? Um, to just keep going. I, I I do think is maybe a handy skill to have. Yeah. So, uh, but obviously, it's, I mean, it's so much better if you do get. You know, if people are going to laugh, and I'm really bad at at stopping. Yeah. To go, oh, people did find that funny. Or it took them a second. It took them a beat to catch up, and then they've laughed. Mm-hmm. And now ah, I've moved. We've moved on. We've moved on. And I'm terrible for that because I know you should allow the room to laugh yeah. and then carry on and be a bit more involved with the audience but again I think that's it's just time isn't it yeah. an experience
0: yeah you've mentioned a lot of names there about people who you saw growing up people who've been inspirational is there anyone who has inspired your stage persona that person that you inhabit when you're on the stage that we talked about briefly before
1: no I mean every comedian that I watch every special that I see and every live mm-hmm. performance that I, go, I go I want to be like that You know, I think maybe I would would want to be crazy. Like, you know, Russell Kane, I think has got a very similar onstage persona to my real life persona. Whereas I do kind of like, I I, know I I am quite rigid. I do just like deliver my stuff like a deer in the headlights, whereas like he's so animated. So I I think him and then having just seen Louisa Ollerman, who we've just mentioned, to be able to do, because hers is very much based on stories. And I think because of working in radio for as long as I have, it's been about stories. It's not about one liners. It is about noticing stuff and bringing your life to other people and to make it relatable. Yeah. And, you know, and and, and I would get that from my dad. My dad is, or was, you know, one of the best storytellers ever. Mm-hmm. But weirdly, in his stories, every detail was as important. That's all the details. And so you'd yeah. zone out a little bit. Like he'd tell you how he'd he'd driven to the Cotswolds for lunch and found this local pub and they'd homegrown their asparagus and this is how long it was. And then they went to a jewellers <laughs> and they got some coins valued. And and you, and you drift out and then all of a sudden you'd you join back in at the point that he'd say, and, the, and when the sawn off shotgun, and I saw I'd be on the news later. You go, <laughs> back up, what just happened? And it turns out that, yeah, they'd been for lunch and then they went to go and get some coins valued in a, jo- in a jeweler's. And someone with a, sh- a sawn off shotgun came in after my dad. My dad held the door open for them. He's on the CCTV and held <laughs> up this jeweler's. And it was all over the news. And he kind of, I mean, this jewel, this guy was shot. And you go, and mm. you're talking about the length of the asparagus. I wouldn't have led with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, but it was just, but it's the enjoyment of the story and the telling all of it, you know, whereas yeah. I think I might've led with the, I was kept hostage, you know, because <laughs> most of my stories might start like that and go, actually I wasn't, I was just there before the, the robbers came in. But you know, that's how in, in Radio Land, that's what you know, we always call it a trigger lead in where you start with a massive punchline and so people go, what happened? The details aren't necessarily as exciting, but it yeah. sort of got what it's sort of true. I was held up at gunpoint. <laughs> Thought of they came in after me. I'm on the CCTV. I will be on the news, you know. So yeah. Um, and his stories were always like that. It wasn't until you drifted <laughs> off and started thinking about something else that the real details would then come out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's the uh, the tabloid headline principle, isn't it? You know, yeah is is it World War Three question mark on the front? You read the paper and read the article. No, it's, no, it's not
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so and so a lot of my stories. So in the more I do stand up, the more I would like to get to really how how I deliver stories on the radio, and yeah. you know, my Louis Solomon is my hero at the moment of, and and also like Judith Lucy, she's an, uh, an Australian comedian who is. Just brilliant how she talks about her life and then and, and she ends the, I think it's a current special that she's got with, with an elaborate and expensive joke at the end that's very <laughs> female orientated. Um <laughs> th- that's definitely worth a watch. But yeah, I watched Asian guy. I would love to be like that. Then Taylor yeah. Tomlinson, again, an American girl. I think she's yeah. only about like 25, 26, and she's yeah. just amazing. She has this almost... and when, You know when you recommend someone and they say, well, what's she like? Yeah. My, the funniest <laughs> joke for me that, that always sticks in my mind is when Taylor Thompson is talking about young guys who she's like dated none of them ever want to wear condoms. And she's like, you know, I don't, you know they just don't want to do it. It's almost like trying to get a toddler to wear a coat over their Halloween costume. <laughs> and then she does this whole act. I'm like, oh no, you won't see it. Won't. And, and it's just so funny. And you go, if that's the sort of... Analogy comedy that you like, then you will love her. And I love a weird analogy on something normal yeah. is just, you know, brilliant. And with with radio world, you know, I mean, we don't, we don't really do so much like um, stunts anymore. But yeah. years ago, I managed to shrink my husband's rugby jumper. Um, and um, and it was okay. so <laughs> shrunk in the wash that it would seize together. You couldn't even you couldn't open it. It was it was that tiny. And I said it's literally the size of a greyhound coat. Yeah. And where we worked, there was a greyhound track. And we said, look, could we come down and we and we and, and and you know for for one of the races and there was like a charity race. Put this on one of the dogs and see if like them, the coat wins, which they were yeah. all up for, you know. And that's sort of like a progression <laughs> of an idea that you go, all as you will shrink a jumper, but what can we do with that? You know, yeah. like it is literally now the size of a greyhound coat. So let's go and see if we're like the winning dog to <laughs> wear it. If you didn't, it lost, but
0: oh, well, okay. <laughs> always better on the dog
1: that goes for a poop before the race. <laughs> I don't think there is greyhound racing anymore. I think that that's, um, I think um, I've kindness no dogs probably put a stop to that. No, it's probably not your thing, but yeah, they, they used to be big.
0: <gasps> you mentioned the gong show there, and I mentioned comedy version. So competitions. Is that your thing?
1: Um, when we were like, because of the, of the group of people that I started comedy with, the minute that there was, so you think you're funny was open, we we're like, and we didn't, but it was the, it was the pandemic. And yeah. so we had feedback given by, and there was a list of comedians that it could have been. And, yeah. and I've kept mine cause it was just really lovely. And I thought that's gonna be the best feedback that I ever get. <laughs> and to be honest, it was also the best video that I'd ever had comedy wise. But it was pretty much a self-tape. I'd done it in front of three friends. Because right. uh, you know, they said, look, if you don't if you didn't have a set from an actual comedy club, then just yeah. do a self tape. And so I so, thought, okay, so I got three friends in and he went, right, you just got to listen to my five minutes, laugh if you want, or don't, whatever. And so I filmed <laughs> that. And I think because I knew them and I knew, and obviously I'd gone over it so many times in my head, and that was, it was like my best entry. Um, but, but so they weren't, so anyway, you all allowed them to, you all were then put back into the heats in the following year, which were then on Zoom. Um, right. and, and we did that. But after that, yeah. I just thought, I think competitions, you would place so much importance on will I get through? Will I make it through to the heats? And if I don't, what does that mean? Yeah, that mean they didn't like me? And I think that I'm so on my own path and I know that I can't compete with other people that are doing three nights a week in the comedy clubs. You kind of think, well, let's right. just go on my own journey and take as long <laughs> as it takes me. And, yeah. you know, I've still got radio where I get to be, and you know, I get to say funny things every day. So I think, well, okay, we'll just move slowly along mean, I yeah. won the gong show at the at the comedy store last May mm-hmm. and where you win a five minute spot, and yeah. I've never taken them up on it, because oh, I'm wow. just not ready. And so yeah. I think, and and my friends are,You you're never going to be ready?" I'm like, I know, but I just can't I just couldn't do my set in the middle of pro comedians you know i I went one thursday when greg davis was on jen brister (laughs) who else is thinking my god think if that was me in amongst those people there's no way i am ready to do that so so i I don't know how long the open invitation for when you've won (laughs) means you can do a spot but yeah i've never i've never dared take it
0: oh that's interesting i mean what is it about these names these comedians that you've just mentioned that prevents you from being among them. I
1: think until I can get, until I can get a set together that, I've still got every set on my phone and on my GoPro. I tape it, I tape everything and I watch it back and then, and then pull it to pieces and go, okay, what do we need to do for next time? Yeah. And until I can go from my video To a clip of Jen Brister and go, oh, there's not much difference, (laughs) then I'm not doing it. And let's face it, that's going to be years. And so I just, I think I'm just going to be happy just doing the open mic and just building up my confidence and then seeing where where it goes rather than, I know everyone says, you know, you should just try and get, say yes and then worry about it later. (laughs) But I think also doing something when you're not ready. Yeah. Might also have a detrimental effect, but okay. I don't know. But because uh, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> you know, the, like I said, the gig I did at the weekend when all of a sudden 180 people were there and yeah. I wasn't expecting that, you know, I, I got on and did it. But just knowing it beforehand, yeah. if they said, look, the comedy store, it's just going to be people of your level, I'll go, oh, okay, I'll do it. Then if I yeah. got there and it was all the pros, we're like, oh, okay, well, I'll still do it. But I just mm. wouldn't sign myself up for it knowing that. They, the, you know, I'm in between. And I'm sure everyone would be so lovely that there'd be such a supportive audience. We go. I don't want them to be supportive. You know, look, she's new. Be nice, <laughs> you know. So maybe at some point, at some point.
0: Yeah. So what's the next level then? What's between doing open mic spots now and being on a, a named bill? What's in between for you?
1: I don't know. I mean, for me, because you know, you was looking at you know, whose career do you want, and if you if I could be just a, a jobbing comedian where I worked every night and that was my, that, that was my full-time job. Mm. I think that I would still, I'd still need, I'd still, I, I love radio because it's mm. again, I've done it for 23 years. Maybe it's just an old habit, but <laughs> it's a place to test things. And also because of the stories that I like to tell, yeah. I really want to work in sitcom, but mm-hmm. I don't want to lose the nerve of ever doing stand up, So, yeah. I mean, Ricky Gervais, obviously hugely successful, but if I could have like 1% of obviously he started uh, on XFM Mm -hmm. and then wrote The Office. And then I know some people say he's not a real stand-up because he didn't go through the clubs and he he didn't. He he just, you know, he was already a name and he got a show. Yeah. And and he he does it every now and again. And so I think that, God, if I could have anyone's career, that would be it. Where I worked in radio, I actually wrote for sitcoms and then I could still do stand-up once a week and yeah. that would be that would be that would be my dream.
0: So is it is it writing or performing that you're more comfortable with?
1: Well, I I people who write are really good on the blank page. Right. And I'm only good at writing after I've performed. Okay. So I don't know how everybody else writes their sets, but basically hmm. mine is in my head until I get it together and then I write it down. Okay. So I have all my sets are written down on a Google Docs, but it didn't start that way. Right. And I certainly can't ever sit down and write. And so all the ideas that I have for my radio drama sitcom, they're all in my head. Yeah. And I've started to write them out on my Google Docs. And so then when I um, go to do it, mm. it will be, I will have to write it up at some point, but it but it's working backwards. And I can't yeah. remember who it is. There's a guy who actually makes movies like that, but it's a, I'm guessing it's a much longer process <laughs> than to just be able to sit down and write. Yeah. But I, I mean, Jack D, when he did his sitcom, he didn't transcribe it. He was a person wandering about by the window, sort of like spaffing ideas. And, <laughs> you know, his co writer then, you know, sort of like captured all the ideas. Yeah. And so I think that, I mean, that's why I'd like a collaborative process. Yeah. Which again is one of the reasons why I did the comedy course in the hope that I might be able to meet somebody. Right. It would also go, yeah, I'm interested in writing sitcoms. And I could go, can we do that together? <laughs> but everyone I've ever met really just wants to do stand-up and, they, and it's a stand-up world that they want to be involved in.
0: Right. You've talked to them about a lot of people, that you love their stand-up, you love their shows. So obviously still comedy as uh, as an entertainment is still high on the list and you're not so jaded yet.
1: No, absolutely love it. I love everything from open mics to pro gigs, all of it. Yeah. behind the scenes I love it it was like it's really interesting if you've seen backstage on Amazon with Catherine Ryan and obviously all pro comedians doing their set yeah. and how nervous they are when they get to the venue and what they do I mean even Frankie Boyle who is a pro and has been doing it for years see yeah. seems sort of like writing backstage you know in the dressing room And you go wow it, yeah. it is all that's the process for everybody then you know, because you feel when you're starting out, God, this is never going to seem normal. And when well, you ever going to get over this, and then you see pro comedians, you go, oh, that's sort of the same. They all have a bit of that mindset of where they're pacing about. Yeah. They don't want to eat or they do want to eat or they need certain things. And they have to make <laughs> a note of their set or have like five minutes in silence. And so we've all yeah. got our own little things, haven't we, that we do before performing. <laughs>
0: So at the time of this recording, um, the Edinburgh Festival is in full swing. Um, you and I are both going to be there at some point shortly. So who do you have in mind Who is the, who is the people that a comedian wants to go and see?
1: So the people who I've walked already to go and see is David mm-hmm. Doherty, Sean Walsh, Angela yep. Barnes, mm-hmm. um, Vic Melody with headset. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go and see Rich Wilson and yep. Vic Satan do their recording. Yeah, and I'm doing a couple of shows, uh, part of like a compilation. So it's not again. i I deliberately only booked two. Yeah, just so I can go and see everybody and okay. see everything. And Lou Cochran want to go and see her live. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a list somewhere. In fact, look, <laughs> I have. Yeah, so look, Joe Coldfield, Pam yep. Ford. Yeah, yeah, loads of people on on my list of people that I just want to go and see when I'm yeah. up there, and pros and non-pros, just to get a real feel for. Yeah. The whole comedy vibe. But it's not just comedy, is it? I mean, there's like burlesque and all sorts of stuff, but we really only talk about yeah. the comedy. That's what we're really <laughs> interested
0: in. Yeah, yeah. Do you go to see... You've you've listed a lot of names there, some very, very well-known, less a few less or so. Do you go to see other newer comedians? Yes. Peers, if you like?
1: Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I know open mic nights sometimes can be a long night, but right. sometimes i find that I will have laughed more seeing 15 people... Yeah. Than I will having seen four pros, you know, at a comedy club. Mm. Um, whether that's just because with a five minute set you've got a higher joke count,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're trying harder. You're not going because we know you. You yeah. know, that's the thing is that if you if you are an established comedian, we're going because you you already bought me. You know, like I I yeah. I'm going because I like you. Yeah. Burns, Lucy Porter, people, you know, I buy into. They were the last shows I saw at the stables not so long ago. And you go, yes, I, I buy into anything. So you could you could be eight minutes before we laughed because I'm enjoying being here, because I yeah. like you and your comedy and your stories. Yeah. Whereas on an open mic night, like, you've got to be like that. And so whether yeah. it win, lose, or draw, it's quite funny <laughs> to see, you know, it being hammered out. And then everyone's got a different style, yeah. whether they're a one-liner guy, whether they're a story, whether the whole thing's a story. Um, male, female, younger, older, obviously with the diversity that we've got a lot more now in comedy. So it's interesting and mm-hmm. hearing all different sorts of perspectives. So yeah, yeah I love it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, sometimes I just feel like I want to write it all down and then just use all their jokes on the radio because they'd <laughs> never know.
0: <laughs> I've posited a theory in the past that uh, newer comics, uh, free shows, etc., can be funnier than the bigger, more established high ticket, uh, shows. And I've posited that it's possibly because um, these people are working harder or trying to put their very best material to get your attention. Now, would you say that that's, that's fair? Because you've done a lot of these open it mics. Is, true. is it your best yes. five?
1: Yes. But also I think it's because it's raw. Yeah. And also when you see a pro comedian, it's tried and tested. And a lot of stuff that didn't work, Yeah. obviously, obviously it's been taken out. You're only seeing the best from the best mm-hmm. with the professional delivery and the confidence, which then just just makes it up, you know, you you, which is why they've got their five star reviews. Yeah. When you've got open mic comedy, we're still doing. Does this line work? And then you're leaving Oh no, it didn't, did it? Oh, and then and then they'll move on, and you will never get that at a pro gig. And sometimes there's something funny to be had for that. Yeah. When they're trying out new lines or what they're trying to do, and you can see what they're trying to do, and it's not done and dusted yet. And there's yeah. something that you're part of at the beginning. You know, we're trying to form an idea. I'm not quite sure what it is yet. And you go, it's kind of funny. It needs the yeah, A. You just need to alter that bit around. Yeah. And again, you don't get that. And so I I think because I like the, from the beginning to the end of comedy, not just the end, the result. I love the journey. So it's great. Yeah. And having seen people like from three years ago, get so much better <laughs> as well from practice. And you go, ah, oh, yes. I mean, yeah. All, I don't know if you've seen like the... I don't know what it's called, but uh, Mickey Flanagan, his whole show of how he got into comedy, and right. you saw the early, early <laughs> rushes of him doing comedy. If you'd have looked at that, you'd have gone, "Yeah, I don't think yeah. you're ever going to get it." <laughs> yeah. To where he is now, you would yeah. never, you know, there was. I mean, I don't know who took the, the the footage, but you know, he was all over the place. It didn't make any sense. There wasn't really in any like storyline. And you go and look at where he is now. Look at where practice has got him. And so I, it's just amazing to see the journey and so again with open mic you're seeing it at its rawest level where people have taken things that as a pro comedian they probably think right i can't go down that avenue and i don't want to be saying these things whereas uh, on an amateur night we go we haven't got the insight to go we shouldn't be saying that or that's not quite funny (laughs) or that's you know i've not looked at it from every angle yet yeah and so you're seeing stuff (laughs) that is funny Maybe for other reasons, I <laughs> suggest it landing in the way that it should, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So that's why I love an open mic night.
0: Yeah. Do you go and see work-in-progress shows, the unpolished um, shows that are big names put together before their big Edinburgh debuts?
1: Yes. I mean, I saw Maureen Younger not so long ago, yeah. Top Secret, her work-in-progress. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have I seen? I have seen work-in-progress. I, I, it just so happens that the shows that I have seen have been then their touring shows. Mm-hmm. And so I haven't actually seen a, a huge amount of work in progress ones.
0: Yeah.
1: But yeah, I mean, I totally would. I, I, I When I was working in London, I lived and worked there for three years mm-hmm. and I didn't know anybody. Yeah. If, if I'd have known what I know now about open mics, I would have gone every single night of the week.
0: Right. And obviously
1: living so far away and being at work early, it's really difficult to get to London and not be really tired because often the M1 show, I mean, there's sometimes I've got home at like half one in the morning and I'm at work at five
0: Yeah,
1: and I'm too old to do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So, But then, you know, you follow people on Instagram and you go, wow, you've just done, you've done six shows in a week. You know, sometimes you've even done two nights and you just go, Oh, I'd love to be Mm. able to do that. And you can see why you would get so much better, so much quicker. Yeah. But like I said, we've all got to stay On our own path (laughs) and until until I can move back to London, then you know it's it's just doing what I can.
0: Yeah. It's funny, I've spoken to a couple of people now and then and so they've come off stage and say, Oh, hi, nice to see you. And like, I can't stop. I've got another show in half an hour, four miles away. And they yeah. the go. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I was thinking, when your second show surely has got to be better than your first one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I spoke to, I think it was Lily Phillips and she did a show and she absolutely smashed it. And then she went along to another show. And I said, How was that? She completely died. It was terrible. Same show, really? exact same word for word. Yeah. <laughs> you know, You never know what the audience is going to give you. No.
1: <laughs> so no. when?
0: So when can we expect to see the the first split bill from Roz Hale? When can we see your your Cowards Hour? Your first forty five at Edinburgh? How far away are these projects?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd, I've never been to Edinburgh before to see what the fringe is all about. So it's going to be a real eye opener, I think, yes. to go this year and witness everything. And also just say, oh, I was part of it. I did five minutes or ten minutes somewhere. So that's going to be really good. I think that with the there's the Camden Fringe, the Cambridge Fringe, the Bedford Fringe, there are other shows that yep. um, I've got friends who said, look, can we do half? And so maybe next year, or one of those ones, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I've got um, I, I, I've got half an hour mm-hmm. now that I'd be happy with. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so, but obviously, you know, so you're, you're having to test it almost in fives to go, okay, so... I've got all all those fives, uh, yep. just put them all together, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is not really what you know uh, a half an hour that people are really looking for, yeah. but um, I mean, that's probably the way that I would have to do it, yeah
0: um
1: but, but again, I like all sorts of I liked prop comedy for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I love Spencer Jones, yeah and if you, I mean I mean, you've got balls of steel to do prop comedy, and I don't know if you i, I used to i started with I used to play my homemade bagpipes. Yes, at a gig. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did you ever see that?
0: I saw it on a on a video online. I think of you doing yeah, it. Yeah,
1: and so because I mean, you just literally uh blown up balloon, and you just it's tying it in the knot. You just put it over a penny whistle, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds horrendous, but you can sort of make it sound like a bagpipe. It's very funny, and then it sort of, <laughs> but it all sets all the tone because I think you know people. The thing with radio is people don't know what I look like, and. People come up to me sometimes and go, oh, they'd be blonde. And I think that's a compliment (laughs) because I think blondes are fun. Whereas the minute that I walk on stage, you know, you can say, you know, I'm a middle aged woman. I look serious. I look like I'm someone who would shout, get off my lawn. And so (laughs) I think I have to work harder to go, no, I'm a fun person. And so I like the idea of sort of like starting a gig with something that you go, look, this is nuts. I've been doing this in front of a real bagpipist in Edinburgh and then do that. And then people go, okay, that's a bit crazy. We warm to you. Now we can do a bit of comedy. Whereas people do, even if you don't want to, you make that snap decision on someone the minute they walk on stage. As to what they look like, as to what they yeah. what they might be delivering. Yeah. And, and I know that I have got a, a you know a face and a demeanor it is a bit aloof, which is why <laughs> I, I'd be funny if I could do it in the toilet and then you didn't need to see me. <laughs> I was thinking of what character could I invent? Where I always thought about being like a character where I go on stage and say, I'm really sorry, the person who you're expecting isn't here, I'm her friend. Um, and then just, just uh, then just doing it as if it's like, oh god, but she was actually really good. I mean, it would. <laughs> People in the know would get that is her. Yeah. You know, but I was thinking that would then be a way of disarming everybody for, look, can we just, let's just loosen up a minute and just have a bit of fun. Yeah. Whereas you know you're, you're so expected. The minute you stand on stage, you've got to deliver something, and it's not funny. People sit there with their arms folded and stony faced. Whereas if you can just go, yeah. look, let's just no, let's just shake it off a minute, <laughs> and let's just have some fun, and people buy into you, then you've got. I think you've got people will laugh a bit more because they've, we've they've relaxed with you.
0: Yeah, is that um, another aspect of uh, Rose hiding in the toilet? The idea that I'll be a character. It's not. It's not me. I'm not here. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, but 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 then, but I'm but it is me. All I'm yeah. doing is hiding the real me, yeah. And because like, I know people have like a character, and they go, "God, I've, I've spoken to different character acts, and they go, God, I just couldn't go on stage as myself.'" Yeah, I'm like, "Well, I couldn't. I only ever want to be myself, and yeah. that's what I'm still fighting with." You know, I'm you've got you've got you know sort of like five percent version of me on stage, whereas yeah. you know I'm quite animated and I'm quite excitable, whereas none of that comes out on stage because I'll literally just stand still and some deliver some lines and hope it was funny and then go. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I want to be a lot more interactive. And I just think, you know, if, if there was, what I need is, have you ever watched Chelsea Lately?
0: Yes, yeah, Chelsea. She's Handler, a comedian. Yeah, yeah. And when she
1: does it, when her show went on to like Netflix, she always had Chewy. She always had like then um this this small guy who was then or was like her sidekick? Yeah. And he very rarely said anything, <laughs> just agreed or disagreed. But I think it made her feel more comfortable and she was funnier because she just had there was just that moment of reassurance or not from someone else. Yeah. And so so I need to be a double act. That's what I need to be. Where <laughs> well, the other one doesn't say very much. <laughs> well, I do most of the talking, but at least I'm on stage with someone because then yeah. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be as nervous, which is really weird. My mum's got this great story of where I've always been really overactive as a kid, even as an adult, I have a lot of energy. Even my husband will say, have you been to the gym yet? Because you need to go. <laughs> and so I need to go and work off some energy. And so my mum took me to gymnastics thinking that I would join in with all the roly polies and all the headstands and the cartwheels. All I did was stand in the corner and cry because I didn't want to join in. The minute we mm. got home, I started like doing all my star jumps and running about again. I was like, I don't get it. Yeah. And I think that that's obviously a trait that, and that's why my life has been the way it has, that I've like settled to, to just keep in radio. I've kept in the background because it's been, I still get mm. to use my outlet of thoughts that I think are funny, but I haven't got to do it in front of anybody. And it's not until I suppose, you know, you get to the age or maybe the stage in life where you think, you know what? God, if you're not going to do it now, when are you going to do it? (laughs) And so, you know, and so now I'm just slowly pushing myself. But it's just taken so long to get there.
0: Yeah. Well, I've heard you on Star Radio and I've seen your Instagram posts and I've seen you on stage. And it's very, very funny and entertaining. So um, how can we find out about you, what you're doing, where you're going to be on
1: so I mean as for gigs I know everyone else says here's where I am this week and here's where I am this month I never you you are lucky if I even say afterwards here I was Yeah. Um so so yeah I mean I literally just doing open mics where and when I can. Yeah. Um but radio wise I mean at the moment I'm on the radio every day of the week so <laughs> Star which is it's a Cambridgeshire radio station but you can get it obviously Alexa play Star Radio and you yeah. and you'll get it. Um and MKFM then at weekends. Yeah. Seven mornings a week.
0: <laughs> um, and finally, Ros, can you sum up comedy in a nutshell?
1: Comedy in a nutshell. I mean, comedy's great, isn't it? Comedy is <laughs> a language that we all speak, regardless of language, where we are in the world, what age, it doesn't matter, we can all laugh. And I love the fact that we will laugh within the first three months of our lives. So we laugh before we can speak. And that's because we want to connect And that's what comedy is it's connection. And the more we can connect with people, the funnier things will be. Fantastic. In a nutshell.
0: In a nutshell. (laughs) Uh, I, I love that. I don't think it could have been said better. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been absolutely delightful. Well,
1: thank you. I'm sorry, I get rather excited and speak a lot. So um, <laughs> I'm also a control freak. So if you want me to edit this, I'm happy to do it.
0: <laughs> no, my show, my edit. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, keep going. I love it. I didn't know. I love getting introduced to new podcasts. And so I've listened to uh, Nathan Cassidy, yep. um, Chelsea Burke. I listened to Vix, yep. obviously, who I was with. Really really couldn't wait to listen to because i love her yeah and everything that she said so yeah so keep keep putting great people uh, i'm sorry that i've ruined this one but yeah um that it's been great, great to listen to i love talking comedy
0: fantastic well once again um it's been a joy i appreciate you taking time to talk to me
1: yeah no worries loved it bye. cheers bye